you know, I think the other thing that like Arine and I learned is in addition to just doing direct to consumer and helping with affordability and accessibility, uh, we really care about modernizing financial services and insurance infrastructure. Uh, we think one of the reasons it's so expensive to be poor is because the fees are so high and the fees are so high because a lot of legacy infrastructure. So we do a lot of things that aren't direct to consumer and are are pure B2B or B2B to C. And some examples are like ones that you mentioned in the beginning. You are listening to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur. A podcast for founders with ambitious ideas, venture capital investors, and other early believers tell you relatable, insightful, and authentic stories to help you realize your vision. Welcome to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Gopi Rangan. Our guest today is Kat Utech. She's a managing partner at Core Innovation Capital, an early-stage venture capital fund making mercenary returns through missionary investments in financial services and insurance technology. Some of the portfolio companies include Ripple, Synapse, Health Sherpa, and Besto. Prior to investing with Core, Kat was at Comcast Ventures and was the CEO of Green Rock Entertainment, an e-commerce company acquired by private equity in 2009. Kat began her career in financial services both as a middle market investment banker for Raymond James and was a graduate of General Electric Capital's financial management program. We will discuss how, as a mission-driven venture capital investor, Kat and her partner, Aryan, look for investments to improve the lives of everyday Americans. We will learn about the firm's origins in the city of New York and how they expanded to the West Coast, in the Silicon Valley and in Los Angeles. You will learn what to expect when you approach as an entrepreneur. There are two partners at a venture capital firm and how they collaborate, how they make decisions. Kat, welcome to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur. Thanks, Gopi. Thanks for having me. What attracted you to venture capital? I think like a decent amount of people, I, I fell backward into it. Um, you either talk to some people that have very uh, storied, pedigreed paths and, and always saw venture as a career. I don't even think I knew uh, what venture capital was. It was until my 20s. And uh, I happened to run this company. Originally, I made an angel investment. Uh, they credited me for being co-founder uh, because from day one, I was pretty much running the company even though my initial intention uh, was just to give money and provide high-level advice. And let me tell you, don't do that. That's not scalable to, to run all the companies that you invest in, and I, I won't do that again. One of the first uh, lessons that I've learned. So I ran the company, uh, sold it to a private equity fund, and really everyone looked at my background, and they're like, you have financial services, you have great startup experience, why aren't you a venture capitalist? And I looked and I said, oh, that, that could be an interesting job. And started talking to a lot of other people in the ecosystem, met a lot of great VCs, and you know, met Ryan, and we really had the exact same investment philosophy, which was do well and do good at the same time. Uh, so that's why I joined them uh, back in 2011. But when you started uh, Core Innovation with Aryan, you, you had a mission in mind, and the mission was to serve the everyday American. Can you tell us about the investment philosophy? And how is it different from other VC firms? Yeah, definitely. And so fun fact, when Ari and I started in 2011, when I met him, 
Uh, Core was actually based in New York City at 611 Broadway way back in the day uh, before we moved out west and now, now have a big presence of both the West Coast and the East Coast. Uh, but back then, we were New Yorkers through and through. And, you know, the initial thesis of the fund was actually FinTech for the Hunting Under Banks. And then uh, we've evolved now really for, for everyday Americans. So, you know, we pretty much care uh, about the majority. I don't really care about the top 1% or 5%. Uh, their money can work for them. They have a lot of other people that are working for them. Uh, so that's not our focus. So, you know, our focus, as you had said in the beginning, is mercenary returns through missionary investments in financial services and insurance technology. So our whole philosophy is that the more value you bring to an end customer, the more they'll keep using your product and service. So we equate this high customer value to a high enterprise value of companies. And I think back in the day, especially in in 2011, uh, it was uh, highly contrarian that you could both make money and have an impact at the same time. You know, more recently, you know, people have been caring about what they're investing in and making sure that they're making meaningful investments. You know, I think for Arian and I personally, we just cared. And if we were going to pour our heart and soul into something and into building uh, not just a fund, but, but what we wanted to do is build a whole firm and a brand and a legacy that outlasts us, uh, the impact on what we were doing really mattered. And we just saw that there was a white space and there was a lot of Silicon Valley that was scared of, you know, a subprime or non-prime consumer. It was a customer that they didn't understand because they didn't really grow up that way. And then it's a, you know, fintech in general is highly regulated, but especially when you talk about serving low and moderate um, income consumers, uh, there can be a lot of controversy there. And so that was a lot that investors weren't touching, but we saw this huge opportunity that these customers were being underserved. Uh, People were focusing a lot on solutions for the top 10%. And we saw all this opportunity for there to be really, really great tech solutions and to bring financial services really to the masses and not just the masses, but the un and underbanked. Your mission, Aryan, and your mission is an inspiration to me as well. So when I started uh, Shore Ventures, I wanted to have a similar type of mission, and uh, my my mission and your mission very closely aligned. My mission is to enable peace of mind for all individuals and businesses. I felt that the Silicon Valley in general, the type of investments and venture capital investors don't focus on this. I think, you know, as we've evolved, you know, we've seen so much opportunity, both in, in infrastructure plays and also direct-to-consumer plays. And you know, our philosophy has gotten more popular in Silicon Valley. So uh, in a lot of our companies, you'll see a lot of name brand VCs that are co-investing with us uh, or that have co-invested after us. And then you'll still, still see us do some somewhat more esoteric stuff that still scares people. But I think over the last the last several years, people have gotten more comfortable as to where we're investing. So when entrepreneurs come to you, what do you look for? Can you maybe use an example of an investment and show how your journey of like understanding the team, understanding the product, what really impresses you and how you make these decisions? Uh, for us, like most VCs, you know, it's team, it's a large market, it's the product. I would say they're, they're all mission driven like us. It could be that's why they also selected us. But they're normally very passionate about what they're doing because they're solving a real issue that's important to them. 
and either they lived it or they saw someone close that lived it and they just said, you know what, I need to fix this. Like this is a huge one market opportunity, a huge problem I want to fix. Even though I think, you know, some people are building things to make a lot of money and, and that's, that's great. Um, I think they really care about the mission behind what they're building. And so, you know, within the teams, you have a variety of experiences. You normally have that like big mission because that, you know, being an entrepreneur is one of the hardest things you can do. So having a mission that really inspires you and drives you when it can be a roller coaster ride and when there are really low lows, I think it's super important that you're bought into what you're doing and what you're building. So we really, we, we have these wonderful mission-driven, you know, C, CEOs that have built great teams. And so when we're looking at teams, we look at, you know, can they recruit? Can they fundraise? Do we think they can scale? You know, um, I mean, you look at intellectual horsepower. You know, most of the people, fortunately, that, that cross through a room, they're really, really smart. And then you say, like, do they have the grit? Do they have persistence? You know, where have they failed before? What have they learned from it? Where have they been successful? What have they taken from it? So we, we spend a lot of time with the teams and getting to know them. You know, our world, as you know, is pretty small. So a lot of people are easy to reference. And then so lots of, on the teams, lots on the market, uh, even though we're focused on uh, fintech and insurance. As you know, there's several themes within those. So things like uh, neobanks and infrastructure, and lenders and saving and mortgage and even elder care, um, Medicare. So there's there's lots of areas and categories that we've gone deep in within FinTech. Um, so we know most of the markets well, and then we'll get to know a market niche really well. And again, we want to go deep and understand why is this company different? What's going to be their competitive differentiation? Um, where's their advantage? Um, how are they going to be able to sustain that? You know, do the unit economics make sense? How are they going to acquire customers? And we look and we make sure that when you look at the market, it's going to be big enough for what they're going to do and that, and that they're going to win there. So normally looking for a market that's over a billion dollars and that we think that the company can command, you know, and then, and then if there's a product and service bill, we like to look at that. Uh, that's normally a reflection on the, on the team and also how they can be competitively differentiated. So we play a lot with a lot of products. A uh, fun fact, Arian has taken out, I think, more loans probably than anyone else and has purposely defaulted on them just to see people's collection practices. Uh, so we, we love to play with and test. You guys are edgy. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, he, he normally only do that when he knows they're not reporting to the credit bureaus. Yeah. But um, <laughs> we like to test kind of every, every, um, every sense of the product um, and make sure it's something, you know, that we love, that we want to use, that we believe in. I see many threads here. I see that the team is very important for you. That's probably the most important question that you ask. And there's a variety of different types of teams that you invest in. And the second is the domain focused on financial services or insurance. And there are many teams within that. And the third is the standard set of metrics that you look for, unit economics, market size, and all of those things. And you're not shy to like, default and try to test the product yourself and see what happens with the collection agencies. That is quite uh, adventurous, I would say. Oh, uh, yeah. Are you, are you not defaulting on loans when you invest? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have not. Uh, I have, I bought crypto yeah. uh, many years ago when I looked at that space. When peer to peer lending came up, 
I opened an account just to see how that works. But I have not really ventured into that adventurous space of defaulting and risking my credit history. Something yeah. that I might have to do. I learn. I, I learn a lot of things from you. So it's it's really yeah, real dedication, real dedication. No, but but just make sure. Normally, when they're that early, they they don't start reporting to the credit bureaus yet. So you're okay. I will take that lesson. This is very interesting. So can you give an example of uh, one startup? I know we've invested in, we've looked at many startups together. We are, we are co-investors in Decent. You focus on healthcare in general. Can you pick uh, one example and kind of walk us through how did you get to know the entrepreneur? How many meetings did it take for you to totally warm up to the idea? Let's double click on the themes that you mentioned. Yeah, definitely. So let's take, uh, obviously, I love a lot of our portfolios, but I'll take one of our, our favorites, which is Health Sherpa, uh, which we invested in 2016. Uh, we had met uh, George, Kat, and Ning, so the three co-founders, back in 2015. Uh, we were actually referencing somebody else, talked to George, really loved him, wanted to understand what they were doing. So Health Sherpa shepherds people into the right exchange plans. So they've enrolled over 3 million people into uh, exchange plans. They're also doing um, some cool stuff with Medicare and some other areas of healthcare. But pretty much you can think of them as the private healthcare.gov. And actually after healthcare.gov, they enroll the most people uh, in the exchange plans. So um, really love their, their mission really loved what they were doing for people. So a lot of their customers, low and moderate income, on average, they're getting people into silver plans, which are pretty good healthcare plans, for $47 a month in premium, uh, which is a great price. So they're mapping out the subsidies state by state and really helping put people into the appropriate health insurance plan for them. Uh, at a great price. So really loved what they were doing, um, loved about a lot about their values and culture as a team, I loved a lot of their practices. Uh, George had come from Bridgewater um, and would write these and, and still writes these amazing manifestos. Uh, so just truly appreciated like what he was doing and where he was coming from. And so we just got to know them after that reference call even though they weren't technically raising money at the time. And we just kept up the conversation for months and months. And then finally, it seemed like it might be a good time for them to raise a Series A. And so we led that Series A back in 2016. And, and that at a time when everyone said we were crazy because Trump had just been elected and people were like, how are you investing in a company that's just doing Obamacare and you're going to have Trump and like, like there's going to be no more exchanges. Like, what are you going to do? And, you know, the reason we invested is one, you know, there's 20 million people without health insurance and a lot of those that are using or that are enrolling in the exchange plans. So I said, well, even with Trump being elected, even if Obamacare goes away, you know, they're not going to leave 20 million people uninsured. There's going to have to be something to replace it. And this is a team that has built the best product that can evolve. They've evolved in the past. They show that they can evolve, that they're really great at understanding the customer and building a great product user experience. So I was like, this is great. The more volatility in the, you know, in the health insurance market at the low end, the more that health sherpa is going to be able to capitalize on that. And so, yeah, so that was, it was very contrarian, especially in 2016, but so far it has been an, an awesome, uh, 
an absolutely awesome investment. They're growing uh, hand over fist. And uh, I know George has publicly announced some of their numbers, including that they, they've enrolled over 3 million people. Obviously, with COVID, they've been extremely busy enrolling people each month. And this has you know, been the busiest time. It's as busy, if not busier, even than open enrollment period right now. So they, they've really done some great things with the product and just super proud to be an investor. Well, this is a great story. Your bet in 2016 is proving to be uh, an amazing investment. You and Aryan have a, an unusual setup where you are located in two different places. Mm-hmm. And when you meet a, a startup like Health Sherpa, how does the process work for you? Uh, does one partner get very excited and try to convince the other partner? Or do you both meet the entrepreneurs at the earlier stages and kind of brainstorm on this? How do you collaborate? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, Arine and I were set up for COVID well before COVID. Uh, <laughs> we, we, um, we, you know, we, we, like I said, we originally met in New York. And then uh, Arian, for a lot of uh, family reasons, wanted to come out to L.A. And I uh, was fighting California a bit, uh, as you can hear from my voice. So you were in New York. Yeah. You were in New York and Arian was in L.A. And just to make things a little more complicated, you opened an office in San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. Well, originally we were in New York, New York, and then and then Arian went to LA, and then we knew you know we should have a San Francisco office. A lot of our companies were there, and so what we did, I think, that really helped is I spent the first like eighteen months with Arian sitting literally next to him, like we shared a desk, an office, and we sat next to each other for eighteen months. Uh, in LA, and then we would travel to San Francisco together, and then we traveled to New York. And so we knew we were on the same page about deals, about our thinking about deals. You know, and it's funny, on a lot of deals, we play devil's advocate, one will like it and one will not. And, and naturally, it just goes that way. So we've had a lot of really good conversations. Um, but, you know, we know the questions that each of us care about. And, and you know, hopefully how to, how to make a persuasive argument if we've kind of decided you know, for a deal to get done, either he should convince me that I want to do it or I should be able to convince him that he doesn't want to do it. And, and that's that's worked out well for almost uh, the past decade. Uh, so sitting together for that year and a half was important. Then we opened up San Francisco and then our pattern was Ardenville in LA and then he comes to San Francisco every Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, we do the deal meetings together all as a team on Tuesdays. Uh, and then we'd be in New York together for you know, at least the, at least a week a month. So we had a really good setup and we do, and um, we have, we have Slack, we have email. And because, you know, our partnership is really easy. It's just two people voting. We talk to each other all the time. Um, so it's actually worked well to make decisions as far as who the deals go to. I mean, there's certain things I'm super passionate about and certain things that he is. So pretty much anything that's at the intersection of healthcare, my team will normally, uh, bring me involved or if it goes to Arian, Arian will get me involved. If it has to do with like uh, neobanks or real deep regulatory infrastructure, I'll, I'll send to Arian. Normally, if it's in New York, I'll take it. If it's in LA, he'll take it. So we've been able to, to split things pretty well. And then, you know, I mean, you know both of us well. Uh, we have completely different personalities. So uh, if if someone's a bit more cerebral, sometimes we'll send them to Arian and it'll be a better fit. Uh, and so the team sometimes will see entrepreneurs and go, oh, that'll be a better fit for for Cap or that'll be a better fit for Arian. And like we've even actually switched up board positions too, uh, just to switch it up. So we like to think we're, 
bit interchangeable, um, though at the start, normally we do have certain preferences and the team kind of knows who to go to. Uh, one of us will take the lead and we'll have one of our vice presidents take be point with us. Uh, the other one will probably take a devil's advocate approach uh, and then we'll debate deals and then come to hopefully a great intellectually honest conclusion of, of whether we invest or not. So from an entrepreneur's point of view, does an entrepreneur need to convince each of you individually or do they need to convince one of you and then you will do the job of convincing the other? <laughs> how, how does it work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, as long as one of us is great, eventually you need both of us. So everyone to pitch, like you, you need to talk to me and Aryan. but normally what we'll do is if one of us really likes it, the other one will ask questions. So if I like a deal, Aryan will ask a lot of questions. I'll try to find all those answers, come back. Um, and if the team seems like they like it, we'll have the person come in and pitch the whole team. And we have a great team in addition to me and Arian. So um, we have a bunch of uh, just wonderful vice presidents, and a great regulatory advisor, the CFO, uh, COO. And so they'll ask the wrong questions. Um, so we'll normally have someone come pitch at the deal meeting and then we'll, we'll eventually come to a conclusion. I mean, depending on how early um, a company is, we can make a decision within a half an hour. So if we knew it was a hot deal and we had to decide like that day, Arian and I will just get on the phone call with the entrepreneur together. And then, you know, we can pretty much mute the phone and make a decision if it's a small check uh, and it's super early. And then if it's a, you know, larger lead check for, you know, up to $7 million in a, in a later seed or a series A, then, you know, from our first meeting to term sheet, we always want to be 28 days or less. So then you might go through more of a process. So it, it just pretty much depends on how much we're planning on investing and what, what stage it is, really and how much like we're going to go and, and go deep into, into diligence and how much time it will take. So it looks like uh, what I'm hearing is it's a flexible process. There is no one way to do it. Sometimes you make a decision in 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes a few weeks or months of getting to know the team and the decision evolves. So there is no one set formula. Yeah. I mean, we like to have a range and we do have a whole framework for it. So I think the 30 minute thing we'll only do is if it's a small, what we call catalyst check. So it's probably a check of like, you know, $250,000 and it's, uh, it's can't come highly referenced to us. And we've already shot off a couple of emails to some of our friends and we can track down who the CEO is and can pretty much vouch for them. And it's a market that we probably know really well. And so we feel really good about uh, where we're investing in that space. So those, those will be for really quick ones. Anything where we're going to write a significant check, um, we're going to be, it's going to be a, a longer process. Um, and normally when it's a bit later stage, there's actually more, I mean, it's not pre-product, pre-market. There's a lot more for us to, to track down, to diligence, to try, and so we will. And then, and then to your point though, we did this one year. We saw on average, we knew our CEOs 17 months before we ever invested in them. And I think some of it is that, you know, we'll look at something very early, like a, a pre-seed round, and it will just be too early for us in that particular niche, even though we do do early. Uh, and then we'll track the CEO. We'll try to be helpful. We'll say on the investor updates. And I always believe entrepreneurs should put like, you know, uh, how investors can help on those updates. And we'll try to be helpful if we're interested. Um, and then we might invest in a later seed or a series A. 
So we do end up knowing our CEOs for a while. So in these COVID times, it's actually been pretty helpful because we know a lot of people in the ecosystem. So we've met them before, even if it was at a party, even if it was when they were running another business. There's a lot of the CEOs that we already know their faces and you know we respect and really like them, even if we haven't invested in them yet, which is making it a lot easier to not take in-person meetings right now because we, we, we know most of the people in the ecosystem. This is fascinating. We covered a lot of territory, all the way from how your childhood dream was to become a car salesman uh, to... uh, I don't know about childhood dream becoming a car salesman. I was a car salesman. My dream was every Halloween I was an an astronaut. I wanted to be an astronaut. (laughs) But I I figured being a car dealer seemed like that was probably pretty much in in the works if I followed my family's path. But yes, an astronaut would have been the dream, though. I got killed a while ago. <laughs> Looks like that dream might come true soon uh, with Elon Musk launching satellites into space. Oh, maybe. Uh, and we covered your career through commercial finance, through uh, venture capital, through Comcast, and then your first office uh, at 611 Broadway in New York, and then how you built core ventures with a mission and all that also very heavily uh, focuses on financial returns and not just an impact. So that it's great to see that you've built the firm over the years and you've raised many funds after that. Uh, and your focus on how do you how you make decisions with the team, the focus on the domain and the standard metrics that you use. And the example that you gave with Health Sherpa gave a lot of insights on how you make these decisions collaboratively, especially with you and Aryan located in different locations. Um, that clearly you were well prepared for lockdown and remote work much before the rest of the world. Thanks a lot for sharing the insights on insider stories on how you make decisions within Core. I hope to find opportunities for us to co-invest in the future and collaborate more and more. Yeah, definitely. We should, we need to find a lot more to do together. Well, this is this yes. has been so this has been so fun. Anything I said that you uh, have a different philosophy on how you're looking at teams and markets and products? I align very closely with your philosophies, and that's why we collaborate uh, very often. You get to see a lot of the opportunities that I see. The area where I struggle with is uh, remote collaboration. I struggle with uh, investing in teams, uh, startups with founders located in multiple locations, and I shudder to think how I would partner with someone else uh, at my firm if I were to bring on a second partner, especially at a different location. That's uh, still quite adventurous to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And I haven't uh, risked defaulting to risk my credit history. So yeah. that might be something that I will have to learn uh, also. Let me switch to the next section here. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the community activities, any leadership roles that you take in nonprofit organizations. Which nonprofit organization are you passionate about and why? Yeah, uh, several, but I'll, I'll, I'll choose, I'll choose one that's near to, near and dear to my heart. So I am an advisor to skiesthelimit.org. So skies the limit is helping entrepreneurs, uh, and 80% are minority entrepreneurs build their businesses. And so these are adventure type businesses for the most part. They're really, um, just great lifestyle businesses, things like starting a food truck or starting your own clothing line. And so I think, you know, outside the VC world, right, very few uh, companies raise venture. And honestly, venture doesn't make sense for most companies. But there's a lot of, lot of really, really great businesses that you can build 
and in where you can make a lot of money without needing venture capital. And so Sky's the Limit helps most of these solo entrepreneurs end up being able to register their companies. Uh, if they're going to raise funds, and, and sometimes it's like just from the bank or from family and friends, uh, teaching people how to do that, teaching people how to set up you know, their income statement, their balance sheet, how to source supplies, how to hire a team, how to pay people. So just like every nitty gritty detail of what you need to start a small business, uh, Sky's the Limit does that. So besides having great resource guides, um, they pair uh, mentors with these mentees. Uh, and the, the mentors are all sorts of great people from large corporations uh, to other VCs. So I do uh, I do some office hours uh, each month to other uh, more large-scale tech entrepreneurs, um, all trying to help these individual people uh, become their own small businesses. And I think that's important now more than ever. You know, for us, we've been very fortunate that we've had a lot of resources uh, to figure out how to start a company. And then and then we're very fortunate that we're able to invest in companies. Um, so I love it because it takes a lot of people that are in uh, underrepresented groups. And there are also um, all, many that are low and moderate income, a decent amount that are in rural areas that might not have exposure to these types of businesses. It really teaches them how to be independent and build their own business. And I think, you know, as we go through... Um, you know, post-COVID, uh, and, and some jobs are going to go away. I would love to see a lot of these entrepreneurs and small business owners, you know, spring up and start, you know, and start their own thing. And so I think Sky's the Limit just does an incredible job at preparing people to, to do their own business. Well, this is great. Thanks a lot for sharing this. And I'm delighted to see that you play an active role in community development. Yeah, thank you, Gopi. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur. I hope you enjoyed listening to real-life stories about early believers supporting ambitious entrepreneurs. Please subscribe to the podcast and post a review. Your comments will help other entrepreneurs find this podcast. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.